0: Well, good morning, HGC family. It's a uh, pleasure and a surprise to be here this morning, and uh, but it's exciting nonetheless. Um, I will, I will have to say though, I uh, last oh probably two weeks ago, I emailed Pastor Aaron. I said, Pastor Aaron, we have a men's event coming in October. Can you come speak to our men at Grandview? And he said, I'll get back to you. It's been a busy time. I'll get back to you. I started to think to myself over last night. I mean it. I got asked 12 hours ago to come and speak, and I'm here today. So I'm thinking about emailing Pastor Aaron tomorrow and saying, hey, i maybe like at least a response. Maybe, uh, maybe you owe me one for October now. We'll see. Um, but, uh, no, I'm excited to be here. It's, I, I'm thankful to uh, see many familiar faces, uh, faces that I miss. Uh, seen every week at Grandview and lots of new ones too. Um, we're thankful over at Grandview to hear what God is doing here and we're encouraged and by what God is, yeah, how, how you are uh, going and proclaiming the gospel. I've uh, been excited to hear about your backyard camps over the summer and other things along those lines and uh, we continue to pray for you and uh, what God is doing here and that he will work in our city. What is important to you? When everything else is in the, in the side, what, what do you focus on? What drives you each day? When I was uh, growing up as a teen, uh, when I was about probably, I think around 13 years old or something, my parents got me, or not me, they got our family, I took it as me, um, they got our family our first gaming system, it was a Nintendo Wii. Um, now... At that time, because I didn't have any other gaming system, I thought this was the best and, like, my life was forever changed. I was so happy. And my parents got, uh, for Christmas that year, I think at the beginning we just got, like, the original games. But for Christmas they got me the game NHL 2K10. And I played that game way too much, okay? Um, like... Every moment that my parents weren't paying attention to me, um, every moment that I had, I would try and play that game. Me, I would create my ultimate team. Me and the Toronto Maple Leafs went on many Stanley Cup runs together, okay? Probably the only way that I'll see them win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. Um, but every every chance I got, I would, like, sit down on the floor in front of the TV, play this game. And it started to not only just, like, take captive my thoughts when I was in that game, but it would take captive, like, my thoughts, my energy throughout the day, and I would start to, like, run interviews with the players in my head, I would, I'd be thinking about that next game, and think about, like, maybe a trade I could make within the game, it consumed me, okay, not proud of it, kids, I'm not telling you to follow in my example, okay, don't do that, It was a fact in my life, at 15, 13 to 15 years old, it was one of the most important things in my life, Today we're going to look to God's word, and I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 26, if you're not there already. We're going to come face to face with the question, what is most important to you? What, or more specifically, who is most important in your life? Now as Christians, we know that Jesus should be the most important person in our lives. If you, if I ask that question, you're like, okay, I already, I already know where this sermon is going. We can probably end it here. But is he? When Monday morning rolls around and we're back to school, we're back to work, we're back to the things, we're, is Jesus first? In this passage, I want to show us... Three lessons that we can learn as we seek to put Jesus first in everything. And it is my hope and my prayer that as we take this journey together, that we'd be encouraged that although there may be difficulty, putting Jesus first is worth everything that we have. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of a book, close to the end of a book. Uh, Matthew is written by the disciple Matthew, and he's writing, writing primarily to a Jewish audience his major theme throughout this whole book is that Jesus has come, and he is the fulfillment. He is the promised Messiah. And he has come to establish his kingdom. And so we've seen this. Jesus has, has kind of been here. He's been doing his ministry. He's been healing. He's been teaching. And as all this is coming up to the cross, in which we find in, even in this chapter This passage takes place during Holy Week, and Jesus is just about to go to the cross. It's been a personal and intimate week with his disciples as he teaches them some last things. And this passage we find ourselves is no different. So join with me in chapter 26, and we'll read together from uh, verses 1 to 13. It says this, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While well, Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his, head, on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw, that, saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me pray. Father, we come to you. We come to your word. And God, I just pray that you would uh, be present with us this morning, that your words would speak life into our lives, and that you would show us ways in which we need to listen, show us ways that we need to change, show us ways that we can worship you better, because you are far worth it. So speak to us this morning, we pray in your name, amen. So as we begin this passage, we're introduced, not to Jesus firstly, but we're introduced to a palace. And in the palace, there's the high priest and the chief priests and the elders. And they're all getting together because they have heard and they know about this Jesus guy. And they have a choice to make. They could either accept that Jesus is Lord, that he could, they could accept that he is the promised Messiah, or they can reject him. And they choose to reject Jesus as their Messiah. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But but they reject Jesus as their Messiah, and it doesn't just end there, but they don't want anything to do with Jesus so so much that they're willing to kill him. So on this day, two days before Passover, all the chief priests, high priests, all the elders of the law, all the important people in the Jewish religion are gathered in this palace. Meanwhile, Jesus... There's a contrast of location because Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. The house of someone who is unclean. If Jesus was in this house, we'd have to imagine that he had healed Simon so he could come into this house. But Jesus is in no palace at all. He is at the house of someone who is unclean, a sinner. And here Jesus is gathered with his disciples, reclining at the table, probably sharing a meal together until this unidentified woman walks in. We know from other Gospels that this is actually Mary, presumably Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. We know from other stories in the Bible. But to Matthew, the focus is not who she is. The focus for Matthew is about what she does. And the contrast continues because while the men of Caiaphas, uh, at the house of Caiaphas did not want to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, Mary comes in and she understands who Jesus is. And the understanding of who Jesus is changed Mary's life. I told you we're going to learn three lessons from this passage. The first one is this. You'll have to listen closely because it's not in your notes like you can cheat with Josiah. If you want to check out Josiah's sermon, I encourage you to do so. It looked great. Hope you get to hear it someday. The first thing is this. Following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus is costly. You see, Mary comes into the room. She comes into the room with this very expensive jar of perfume. An alabaster jar, it says. And what does she do? She walks over to Jesus, she takes the jar, she opens it up, she lifts it over Jesus' head, and not one drop, not two drops, not a quick spray like we would do with perfume or cologne, but she pours it out over the head of Jesus. And this isn't just any jar of perfume that she got from Walmart on the way over or anything, it's very expensive perfume. As reading into it, other, other Gospels um, say this is a jar of pure nard. Um, and I don't know much about nard, but apparently it costs about an average person's wages for an entire year. A general laborer's wages for an entire year. So this is about a $30,000, $40,000 jar of perfume in today's day and age. I don't think I own a $5 jar. Anything of cologne or anything, okay, let alone thirty thousand dollars. The disciples can't believe what Mary has done but for Mary. There is no hesitation, for she knows that following Jesus is going to be costly. She knows that if she's going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost her everything, she has to give up everything, and she is ready. And so she comes into the room, she sees Jesus, she goes to him. And she pours out one of the most costly items that she has over Jesus until the aroma fills the room. You see, she's bringing her very best and more. She's not holding back. She brings it to Jesus and she says, Jesus, have this gift. Everything that I have, all that I hold dear, what the world sees as valuable, I want to lay at your feet. I want you to have. Why? Because Jesus is worth everything to her. Following Jesus isn't always easy. I think we like to paint that picture sometimes in our Western culture church. Following Jesus isn't easy, and that's why I love to go back to the Bible and look at many different uh, people that we know that have followed Jesus. And right from the beginning of time, you look at Noah, who, who worked for decades on a boat before he even saw rain. Think of Abraham, who was asked to sacrifice his son. Think of Job, who lost everything. Think of Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den. Joseph, who was thrown into prison. John the Baptist was beheaded. Paul was also thrown into prison. We see time and time and again... That if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that we have to be ready to lose everything, to give up everything, just like Mary did here. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says this in chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We follow Jesus by denying ourselves, by letting go of control. By letting go of our selfishness, of our desires. We give up up everything if we're going to follow Jesus. And you know, this this world teaches us that control in this world is something that you should chase after. That if you can be in charge, if you can be in control, then you're doing well in life. We desperately want control in our lives. We want control in our finances. We want control in our relationships. We want to be able to control the health of those around us. You know, as a child, you grow up. If you're anything like me, you can't wait to get out of your parents' house someday. Why? So that you can be in control. So you can have the freedom to make the, the choices that you want to make that you can be in charge. We crave control because it gives us power and it makes ourselves the most important thing in the world. It makes us God. And I think this is what the high priests and the the chief priests and the elders were struggling with. Because to them, Jesus was a threat to their control. If, If Jesus really was the Messiah, the Savior, That meant things were going to change for them. They would have a lot less power and control in who they were and their influence. And they didn't want to give that up. So they didn't want to believe that Jesus really was the Messiah. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be costly. You have to give up control. You have to give that over to me. And so we take up our own cross knowing that we must die to our own sin. Saying, God, all I have You know, I was once told that if you want to um, do a quick check on how much you prioritize um, a marriage or a relationship, you need to check two things. First, check your calendar. How much time is given to that relationship? Is that a priority? And secondly, check your bank statement. Is that something that you support? Is that something that you care about? Is that something you invest in? And I think that's a good start if we're going to check on a relationship and our priorities with God. Our calendar. Are we making time to spend with God, to spend with his people, to serve his people? Is it a priority? Is it something that we put on the calendar first or is it an afterthought? Do we squish it in after? And our finances. Would our bank statements say that loving Jesus is a priority to us or an afterthought? For Mary, serving Jesus was costly, but she was willing to do it because she knew who she was serving. Can the same be said of us? Can the same be said of you this morning? Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. It was about Jesus. It was all about him. So, the first thing that we see is that following Jesus is costly. And the second is this following Jesus is countercultural. Following Jesus is countercultural. Look with me in verses eight and nine. It says, When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. You know, the disciples of all people of all people, should have known that Jesus was worth that jar of perfume and more. Yet even they struggled to understand what following Jesus really meant. And I have to wonder, if disciples of Jesus who followed Jesus, who followed his teachings, who were there for his miracles, who got to sit with Jesus, who got to pray with Jesus, If they struggled to understand what following Jesus really meant, how much more might we struggle to understand what following Jesus really means? How much more might we struggle to practice following Jesus in all areas of our life? If the very people who sat by his side for three years struggled struggled with it themselves. The disciples think they have good intentions and they say, look, that that $30,000, we could have fed a lot of hungry people with that. Could have done a lot of good ministry with that. You know, I can only assume if someone came to HGC and they said, hey, we have $30,000 for you guys to do anything you guys want with. I'm sure a few of you guys would get together and say, okay, what what can we do? How can we serve our community? But the question is, how can we make God Look as great as he really is. How can we honor him and worship him in the way that he deserves? Jesus says this in verse 10 She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She knew that any time spent with Jesus was precious, it was to be valued. To be in the presence of a holy God was worth savoring. If you remember the story of Mary and Martha, it's familiar to most of us. This isn't the first time that Mary has spent extra time with Jesus, right? Mary and Martha are Jesus comes into their house. Martha's busy worrying about making a meal. And what does Mary do? She leaves Martha in the kitchen, and she goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, being the sister that she is, that I imagine many siblings have, that fight, goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, can you get Mary in trouble? Because she should be helping me in the kitchen, right? What does Jesus do? No, Mary has chosen the better thing, to sit at my feet, to listen to my words. You should be choosing the same thing. Mary got this. She knew there was so much value in spending time with Jesus now, if she had done this to any other person, the disciples would have been right. It would have been a waste, But she did it to Jesus. That would have made it beautiful. It wasn't about the perfume, but it was about who the perfume was for. She realized that Jesus was God. He is holy and that he is worthy of all worship and praise and adoration. And she knew that Jesus deserved to be worshipped in that way. But I want to pause here and consider Mary's feelings. I mean, can you imagine Mary coming into a room full of men, full of the disciples and Jesus. And she does this act of beautiful worship where she pours out an entire expensive jar of perfume, thinking that she's done a great thing. And I can only imagine her listening to the murmur of the disciples. Can you look at her? She just wasted all that perfume? Is she just trying to seek attention? What's Mary doing She comes to Jesus and gives him her best and while she does something that should be praised, the disciples take that and they twist it. You see, following, following Jesus isn't easy. It's doing what the opposite of what the world expects of you. Mary did the opposite of what the disciples expected of her at that moment. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to go on a path that is different from those around you. Following Jesus is countercultural. And I have to assume that we might feel the same way as Mary at times. If we're going to follow Jesus well, others around us may not get it. They might mock us. They might disown us. We might put ourselves in painful or even, um, or, yeah, painful situations. And I mean, if this is. If this is the response of disciples of Jesus to beautiful worship, again, think of the response of others who hate Jesus. What their response might be to this act of worship or to our, and how we, sorry, to how we follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus no matter what. On following Jesus, the reformer J.C. Ryle wrote this. He must be content to be thought ill of by man if he pleases God. He must count it no strange thing to be mocked, ridiculed, slandered, persecuted, and even hated. He must not be surprised to find his opinions and practices and religions despised and held up to scorn. He must submit to be thought by many a fool, an enthusiast, and a fanatic, to have his words perverted and his actions misrepresented. In fact, he must not marvel if some call him mad. The master says and this is Jesus' words from John 15 chapter 15 verse 20 says this remember the word I said unto you the servant is not greater than his lord if they have persecuted me they will also persecute you if they have kept my saying they will keep yours also If we're going to follow Jesus it may not be easy when you give him your best others around you may not understand but Jesus doesn't call us to seek the approval of the world. I'm going to say that again. Jesus doesn't call us to seek the approval of the world, but He calls us to worship Him in everything, and if we do that well, He will honor us for that. Which leads me to my third lesson this morning, and it's this: following Jesus is life-giving. Following Jesus is life giving. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it's countercultural to the world around us. But it doesn't have to end there. Following Jesus is so life giving. First of all, while the world is against us, God is on our side. When the disciples were attacking Mary, Jesus, what does he do? He stands up to defend her. Verse 10 says this Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Again, if you have done this act of worship and you hear the disciples murmuring, you might begin to wonder maybe, did I do the right thing? Should I have done this in a different way? Should I have not? Should I have given the money to the poor? But Jesus sees what she has done, she sees her heart, her intentions. And he breathes life into her. He says, don't bother her. He stands up for her. In fact, he doesn't end it there, but he turns, he praises her. In verse 13, we see that he says, uh, in verse 13, Jesus says this, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Not only has she done a good thing in this moment, But the story of what she has done will continue on for generation and generation. It's even happening this very morning. Her act of worship will be honored and remembered. And Jesus validates her act of worship and says, follow her example. Which again, I have to put myself in the shoes of the disciples. They think they're right. And here Jesus stands up and says, no, you're wrong. You think you hell have it right? No, follow the example of this woman, which would have been very countercultural in that age. We're supposed to follow in her example. Have you ever felt alone or unwanted? Many of us have at times, right? When I was growing up in church, um, I had a lot of friends who I was friends with on a Sunday morning. But during the week and stuff, they all went to school together, and I wasn't at their school. And they would all hang out at each other's uh, houses and do things on the weekends together. And I was, like, never invited. I would come into their their, uh, Sunday morning, I would stay in their circle, and I'd kind of talk with them. But I didn't feel like I was a true friend to them. But I remember when I was about 12 years old, I got invited to one of their birthday parties. And for me, as a 12-year-old boy... That changed my world. I thought I was finally valued. I thought I was finally part of the, the friends. Now the birthday party was horrible. Um, wouldn't go to it again, but I didn't care. Because I was finally accepted, I was finally felt loved and valued. And that's what the love of Jesus can do for us. He brings us from the outside. He brings us from the shadows, feeling like we don't matter, feeling like we're alone. And he brings us to his inner circle and he offers us love. He offers us life. Following Jesus is life-giving. And Jesus then points to the true life that he offers Mary as he points towards his death. Back to verse 12, Jesus says this, when she poured this perfume on my body, She did it to prepare me for burial. See, the true life that Jesus brings is merely days away in this moment, as he's about to go to the cross. And Jesus says there is so much more significance in this act of worship than you can even see right now. Jesus offers Mary life, but it goes beyond the love and acceptance that he offers her in that moment He offers her true life by rescuing her from her sin. See, Jesus wants to have communion with Mary. He wants to have a relationship with Mary. He wants to draw her in. He does that through his words that day, but he also does that through his death and resurrection. As he breaks down the wall of separation between him and Mary that Mary's sin had caused between them. You see, even though she was face to face with Jesus that day, she was still so distant from him because of her sin. She was separated from him. Yet, in the life giving love that Jesus offered, he went to the cross to take the pain that she deserved, and he died for her sin, for the sin of the world, and she was buried, which Mary so beautifully prepared him for through the act of sharing with that perfume. We know that Jesus didn't stay buried and he rose back to life, proving that he has power over sin and death. And the love that Jesus showed Mary was truly life-giving and that he went to die for her. And Jesus offers you and I that same life-giving love. That Jesus died for us so that we might be set free from whatever is holding us captive, from the guilt that we feel. Maybe we feel lost, alone. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you feel purposeless. Jesus wants to and can give you life just just as he gave life to Mary in this situation. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. If we choose to give up control, to let go of us being the center of the world, Give everything over to Him. Jesus takes us and transforms us, giving us new life. And so, as we saw in the passage today, Jesus goes on to say that what Mary did would be told in her memory. Why? Because she's done a beautiful thing. And it's, it's an example that is worth following. And it's an example that He wants. Me to follow. It's an example that he wants you to follow. And so today we need to ask ourselves the question in our life, are we putting Jesus first? Are we putting Jesus first in all areas of our life? You know, summer is wrapping up and for many of us, the busyness of fall and school patterns are around the corner. Now this is a great time to stop and to think and maybe sit down with your family. Maybe it's this afternoon, you guys all get together and say, guys, what does it take? What does it look like for our family? What does it look like for this household to put Jesus first in everything that we do? Are we willing to give up things that are closest to us, that we hold dear That we want, that we don't want to let go of. Are we willing to let those go so that we can give Jesus a true and proper act of worship? The things that are most valuable are our time. Are we creating space for time with God? Time with His people? Time serving those that He created? Our money is our worth in our savings. Our retirement plan, or lack thereof maybe. Our vacations that we've been dreaming of since the beginning of COVID. Where are we finding our worth? Is our worth found in our identity in Christ, where it should be? And being called His child? What about our mind? When we wake up in the morning and we lie down at night, what controls our thoughts and emotions? Are we taking control and are making everything about us? Are we thinking the thoughts that we want to think? Or Are we resting in the peace of God and praising him for who he is and the life that he gives to us and focusing on that daily? Every day when we wake up, we have a choice. We can either worship our God and give him everything that he deserves, Or we can choose to be like Caiaphas and the other elders and priests. We can choose to run away from God wanting control in our lives. We need to choose to worship our God and put him first in everything. The big idea that I've framed today that that we see in this passage is this. Followers of Jesus humble themselves and give everything they are. To worship their King. Followers of Jesus humble themselves. We realize it's not about us, it's nothing about what we want or desire, it's about God. And we give everything, not just a little bit, not just enough so that God is, is happy or that we acknowledge Him. We give everything to worship our King because Jesus is our Lord and our King. He is the one worth following. He is the one worth serving. And, and if Jesus isn't first, then we've missed the mark. If Jesus isn't first, we've missed the mark. And so we give him everything. And If we do this well, I'm sure Jesus will look to you and say, you have done a beautiful thing to me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you how you love us despite our inability to, to love you well all the time. Despite our sin, despite what separates us from you, you desire to give us life. And so today, God, we pray that we would serve you and honor you and worship you as you deserve. We know things can get busy as we head back to school and and just the pace of of life um, goes back into a routine. We pray that as we head into this fall, God, that we wouldn't be giving you the leftovers, but we would be looking for ways to worship you well, to give you everything. And that you would be worshipped and honored and glorified as you deserved. We pray that you would look as great as you really are through our actions and our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.